Heavenly Father, we do come before you again and ask for your blessing upon us. We cannot demand it because we are unholy. And Heavenly Father, we however know that you are a merciful God, you are a gracious God. And through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, at the cross, we can come for you, come to you and ask for blessing. So, Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name and beg for your blessing upon the preached word. Lord, we pray as we study this book of Hebrews together this morning that it may indeed encourage us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I think we all recognise that you can't stay in school forever, that you have to leave school eventually. Some people say that their school days were the best days of their lives. And I was told that while I was actually at school, I was reminded again and again, enjoy it by the teachers, these are the best days of your lives. And I'm guessing teachers have some sort of prior commitment to that because, let's face it, teachers go from school to uni, which is a form of school, back to school again. And so, of course, they must love school, mustn't they? Because that's all they've ever done with their lives. But for me, I didn't like school that much, and so I was very pleased to leave. And I think lots of kids, that's their case as well, because if you go around and ask the kids after church this morning whether they're happy on holidays or would they rather be at school, I'm pretty sure the answer will, generally speaking, be they'd rather be on holidays. And see, when you're at school, you recognise that when you get out of school, you're going to actually be able to start making some decisions about your life and you won't be told what you need to learn. You'll be able to choose what you want to learn and you'll be able to choose what you want to do with your life. So school is something that I think we all go through and some people thoroughly enjoy it. I think they're the people that have major social engagements at school and have very little understanding of the concept of learning. Uh, They really love their school days. But for most of us... We want to move on. And as Christians, we need to have this concept in mind as well, that we go through an elementary school, a primary school of learning about Christianity, but then we need to move on. School days cannot last forever, even as Christians. And we see that in the text that we're looking at this morning in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 tells us that we need to move on to becoming adults, to leaving school. And so that's my first main point this morning. You need to move on to maturity. You need to move on to maturity. If you want to follow my main points, they're printed there on the back of the church bulletin this morning. And the first is, you need to move on to maturity. And we've seen this actually come up to us again and again in the previous verses to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. We've seen a couple of rebukes from the author to the Christians for not moving on. And we saw that in, for example, verse 12, where he speaks to them about them still being students when they should really be teachers. In verse 12 we read, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, that's the readers of the letter, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So there's this whole concept of you're still at school. Why are you still at school? You should be teachers now. And then also last week we looked at how they are behaving like infants and how they need to grow up. And we saw that at the end of verse 12 it says you need milk, not solid food. And then anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we're seeing the author building his case here. 
You're still students when you should be teachers. You're still infants when you should be adults. And now he comes and gets stuck into the readers again by saying that they need to then leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And we see that in chapter 6, verse 1. What do we read on page 1187 of your Black Church Bibles, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1? Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. We're told here that we need to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Two ideas there. Same, same meaning, leaving, going on. So what does that look like? Leaving, going on as Christians. Well, it says here that that looks like leaving the teachings about Christ. Verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Now that sounds terrible. Since when do we abandon the teachings of Christ? When do we leave teachings of Christ behind and go on? Sounds like when I left school that there were many teachings that I left behind, like studying Shakespeare. Shakespeare, I have dabbled in a bit since then, but someone like oh, Thomas Hardy, some English literature, Thomas Hardy, oh, I drove my brain bonkers. Um, there are some teachings that you just don't want to study any longer. And so we move on from those which is a wonderful part about leaving school. But this is terrible. It's saying, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Whenever do we leave any teachings about Christ behind? Well, that's where we've got to be careful about what the text is actually saying. The text is not saying abandon the teachings of Christ. We don't abandon what we learn about Christ. But the text says that we must leave and go on from a foundation Chapter 6, verse 1, what does it say? Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. It's not that we abandon the teachings of Christ, but we have them as the foundation and then we build on those, like a builder who keeps on working on the foundation. He doesn't keep laying a foundation again and again, because then, of course, he'd never get a house built. But he, and he doesn't abandon the foundation. He goes on from it, but he goes up from that foundation. Just like some teachings that you do get at school and you never leave behind, particularly mathematics or some, some English. I mean, Thomas Hardy, Shakespeare, they're English. But, of course, the concept of writing English and knowing good grammar, you take those on with you and you build on those. Your understanding of the English language gets better and your understanding of mathematics gets better. You don't keep trying to learn what does 2 plus 2 equal. You keep that for the rest of your life. But you don't keep learning that foundation that you have in mathematics. You build on it. And that is what we're being told to do here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. We're meant to leave the elementary teachings of Christ, but not abandon them, but simply build on them. So then the question is, okay, well, what are the elementary teachings that I'm meant to move on from, that I'm meant to build on? It's not mathematics that Christ teaches me. What is it that he teaches me that I must then move on from, have as my foundation to then build up the rest of my Christian life on. 
Well, a list of some fundamentals of the Christian faith, some foundational truths, are then given to us in Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to look at just one of those this morning. One of those, and that is the first one in the list that is given in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through to verse 2. What is that first one? Well, it's repentance. And so that's my second main point this morning. You need to move on from repentance. And we read that in verse 1. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. The author of Hebrews is teaching us that we need to move on from repentance. Repentance is a foundational truth for us that we then need to build upon. But is repentance a foundational truth? Is that just the author's idea, that repentance is up there first on the list? Well, no, we see again and again in the New Testament that repentance is a fundamental of the Christian faith. For example, John the Baptist, before Jesus was baptised, before Jesus is on the scene in the Gospels, what do we read? Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist comes along. The new era of Christianity coming, and he preaches what? Repentance. Then when Jesus begins, begins his ministry, after he's been baptized, after he's been tempted in the desert by Satan, what does Jesus preach? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach... What did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus saw it as a fundamental of his ministry. That's what he preached. John the Baptist saw it as a fundamental of his ministry. That's what he preached. What about when Jesus sent out his disciples to go out and heal people and cast out demons and to also preach? What did he say? What did they do when they went out from him? What did they preach? It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, they went out, that's the disciples, and preached that people should repent. And then on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stands up to preach, as people are gathered there to see what the commotion is, as the Holy Spirit has descended, Peter replies to people when they ask him about salvation. He says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. And then when Paul sums up his ministry, we move on many years from after Pentecost. Maybe repentance is no, not such an issue anymore. What does Paul say when he sums up his ministry? He's talking to the Ephesian elders and he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, both people groups, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fundamental for John the Baptist. It's a fundamental for Jesus, fundamental for his disciples when they were sent out by Jesus while Jesus was alive, then after Jesus died. And then we see with Paul, it's a fundamental repentance, 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 repentance. It keeps coming up because people need to repent. It's clearly a foundational doctrine of Christianity. The question is then, well, what is repentance? I mean, let's face it, it's not a word that's particularly common in our day-to-day speech with people. You don't go into work and you say, oh, yes, I need to repent today and you need to repent as well as we're here at work. You just don't do that. What does repent mean? We often only hear it when we're in religious circles. What does it mean to repent? Well, repentance is an intellectual activity. It's something you do with the mind. The Greek word, metanoia, repentance, actually has the Greek word for mind within it. 
So it's something you do with your mind. What is that activity that you do with your mind if you're repenting? Because let's face it, we do lots of things with our minds. What is the activity of the mind that is repentance? Well, firstly, repentance involves an acknowledgement of sin, an acknowledgement in your mind that you have done something wrong. An example of this is when Jesus talks in Luke 17 and he says to his disciples, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. See what happens? The brother sins. Then you rebuke him. Then what does he do? Well, hopefully do. He repents. The sin has come into his mind. He is now aware of it. He acknowledges it if he is to repent. It is an acknowledgement that I have done something wrong if I repent. That's not all that repentance is. Simply acknowledging, yes, I did the wrong thing. Repentance involves a turning away from our sin. Turning away. We read in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, it says, Repent. Ezekiel says, repent, turn away from all your offences. Turn away from all your offences. When you repent, it's not simply that you go, yes, I've done the wrong thing. It's that I've done the wrong thing and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm truly sorry. Not the sorry that we have with kids where they say, sorry, sorry, mummy, sorry, daddy. And it doesn't really mean anything. They'll do it again as soon as your back's turned. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is when you're sorry and you will make every effort not to do it again. It's an activity of the mind where you go, yes, I sinned and I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to try to do something else. And what is that something else? Because let's face it, we turn from something, we must turn towards something. And that's what repentance involves. It involves a turning away from something and a turning to something. What is that? Well, repentance is an intellectual determination to turn from sin to obedience to God. There's no neutrality. It's not as though you say, yes, I did the wrong thing and I'm not going to do it again and I'm not going to, I'm just going to be neutral. No, you're going to be positive. You're going to go in a different direction. You're not just going to stop and that's it. You're going to go in another direction. And that's what we read in Acts chapter 20 where uh, we read, I have declared, this is Paul speaking, to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Hear that again. They must turn to God in repentance. Part of repentance is turning, yes. But what does he say? Turn to God. Turn away from sin. He doesn't say that in the text, but we see that in other parts of the Bible. Turn away from sin is part of repentance. And Paul understands that it involves a turning away from sin to God, to obedience in God. So we've seen it's an intellectual acknowledgement of sin. It's an intellectual turning from sin. It's an intellectual turning away from sin to God. Is there anything else that repentance involves? Well, I, I'm, the Bible teaches that there's always an emotional component of repentance as well. That there should be sorrow. If we really understand sin for what it is, then our emotions get caught up in it as well. There's a sorrow over our sin. And that is part of repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There's a sorrow. There's a, a mourning 
over the sin, which involves your heart, which involves our emotional response, if you truly understand your sin for what it is, then you'll be sorrowful about it. You won't simply say, yes, I, in some sort of clinical way, I sinned, I'm not going to do it again, I'm going to do what is right. There's going to be a sorrow involved. Now, there's different types of sorrow, as I've even said previously about children. There's different types of sorrow. We can mourn over our sin for different reasons. And an example of that is what Paul describes as worldly sorrow in that text in 2 Corinthians 7. He said, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. What is worldly sorrow? Well, I think a good example of worldly sorrow is the sorrow of Esau when he lost his birthright, when he sinned and he gave over his birthright to Jacob. What do we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16? It says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Was Esau sorrowful about his sin? Yes, he acknowledged he'd done the wrong thing. He was sorrowful, yes. But what was he sorrowful about? He was sorrowful that he didn't get the blessing that he wanted. He wasn't sorry about his sin. He was sorry that he'd lost his inheritance. And we can have that attitude as people as well, can't we? We're sorry that our sin has lost us something that we want. And if we could get what we want and sin, then it would be all okay. But that's not a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow is one that sees sin not for the consequences essentially of what you've lost, but sees sin as crime against a holy and righteous God. You see sin for what it really is. You see sin in all its sinfulness and how horrible and nasty and disgraceful it is to behave in such a way before a living God. And you mourn over the fact that you ever sinned. You don't mourn over the fact that sin has lost you something. Although that is something to be mourned over to some extent. But essentially, you're mourning over the fact that you sinned. And if you could go back and not sin again, you wouldn't. Because that's the difference between, let's face it, a lot of people in prisons around this country. They're sorry they got caught. They'd be happy to get out and keep doing what they were doing. They're sorry they got caught. That's not the sorry that God wants if you are to repent. It's a sorry that you ever sinned in the first place. And even if you didn't get caught, you'd still be sorry that you behaved in that fashion. So repentance involves an intellectual activity of the mind where you acknowledge sin, where you turn away from sin and you turn toward God and you're emotionally caught up in it. If you can just clinically say, oh yes, I'm sorry for my sin and I, I'm not going to do it anymore, and you don't seem to have been affected in your heart at all. I mean, let's face it, some people are more emotional than others. I'm not saying that everybody has to cry a bucket full of tears to show that they are repentant. But there should be a mourning in your heart, to some extent, of what you've done with your life and how you've sinned against God. Okay, so that's repentance. But why is repentance so important? 
Why is it such a foundational truth of Christianity? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. You need to move on from repentance of dead works. You need to move on from repentance of dead works. Repentance is dead. Repentance, well, not repentance is dead. Repentance is a a turning from sin that brings death. The consequences of sin bring death. And so you need to repent of those works that you are doing. They're dead works. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And so what brings death is your works, your sin. And if you are turning from them, then you're turning from what the author of Hebrews says, from acts that lead to death. Before you are a Christian, you've got to remember, everything you do is dead. Dead in the water. They're acts of death. Because all they're doing for you is bringing death one day, an eternal judgment before God. Even acts of what people would see as good works before God. Obedience. Let's face it, this is written to Jews who kept God's regulations quite well, often. But they're done for their own glory. They're not done for God's glory. If you are doing good things so that people will say you're a good person, so that God will say you're a good person, then they're dead works. They have to be done for God's glory because you have become repentant of those acts. That you've become repentant that they were all tainted with sin, what you did. And you need to turn from them and turn to doing what God wants for his sake and not for your own sake. And then, if we do that, then we do acts of life. And that's what Acts 11 is talking about when it says, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Before we become a Christian, we're doing works of deadness, works that bring death. But when we become a Christian, when we repent of our sins, we inherit eternal life. We no longer inherit eternal death. We inherit eternal life. So repentance is foundational for us as Christians because it is essential for our salvation. You can't just have faith in God and no repentance. Some people seem to preach that on a regular basis. They never tell anyone to repent, to turn from their sins. They just say, trust in Christ, he will forgive you. It's okay, you'll have eternal life if you just trust in Christ. And there's no concept of the person actually changing their ways, having any kind of intellectual activity in their mind of saying sorry for their sin. Repentance is foundational. Otherwise, you will have eternal death rather than eternal life. So we're meant to move on. That's what this text says for us. Leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. So we're meant to have repented and we build up from there. But does this then mean that we never repent again as a Christian? That we repent and that's it? I go on, my merry life as a Christian, I never say sorry to God for anything that I do after that because I've already ticked that box, I've done the repentance, it's all taken care of. Well, no, the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we're meant to repent of our sins that we're meant to be sorrowful for what we've done. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us. You're asking, you're acknowledging you have sinned. Remember that passage in Luke where you, you rebuke someone in their sin and they 
repent and you forgive them. That's what you're asking for God to do for you, that you repent, you acknowledge your sins, and you ask God's forgiveness. So we are meant to repent ongoing as a Christian. But there's a difference between repenting as a non-Christian and a difference repenting as a Christian. A non-Christian repents of their life and their life of sin before up to that point and they say, I am so sorry for what I have done. And as they repent, they are granted eternal life if they truly repent. Why does a Christian repent? Well, they repent because they already have salvation. A non-Christian repents because they don't have salvation. A Christian repents because they have salvation. They know that what they're doing is wrong and they're not doing it all over again. They're not laying another foundation of repentance. They're simply building on what they've already had. There's an ongoing repentance because they are saved, not because they need to be saved. And you see some people are like what the author of Hebrews is trying to tackle. Some of the readers of the the book of Hebrews obviously were in this rut where they're constantly becoming Christians. They're constantly laying the foundation again and again. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. I need to repent. And so they do it again. Just like some people in some churches where they have altar calls on a regular basis and it's the same people every week who go up for the altar call. They're again and again laying a foundation that does not need to be laid. If you are a Christian, you've totally, you've repented of your sins, then you need to move on. You don't keep harping on about your life of sin. You move on. And you build on that. You've repented of those acts that lead to death. And you've got better things to concentrate on now. Yes, as you sin, you should repent, but you're moving on. You're not going over and over the same ground. Otherwise, you're like a builder laying a foundation and then breaking it up and laying it again and then breaking it up and laying it again and he never gets his house built. It's a foundational truth. And we build up from that. Because let's face it, if you're someone that constantly is repenting, constantly coming before God and, and handing your life over to Jesus, becoming a Christian again and again, you're not going to withstand the sufferings that will come as being a Christian, the onslaught that Satan will throw at you. If that is what your foundation, if that's what you're doing in your life all the time, you can't withstand what the flaming arrows that Satan will launch at you. We need to do what has been told to us back in verse 13 instead. What did we learn last week in verse 13? Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. I said that we need to move on from these elementary things to teaching about righteousness. And last week I made very clear that that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We keep clinging to Jesus Christ and his righteousness and learning more and more about what he has done for us at the cross. We keep growing in our understanding of Christ and that means we keep growing in our love for him so that when we are attacked... And it is so hard to be a Christian at times in this world. When we are attacked, we're not going, oh, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I need to repent as this attack is coming. No, no, no. You're clinging to teachings about righteousness, about Christ and what he has done. And because you've been growing in your understanding of Christ and his love, you can withstand the onslaught of the world and Satan against you. Because you know you've got that foundation down there. You've you've dealt with that. That was long ago. And now you're clinging to Christ and his righteousness. And so when Satan says, oh, you're not a very good Christian, you say, well, it's not about me, it's about Christ and his righteousness. And I'm okay because 
I repented a long time ago and I am clinging to Christ. I've learned more about Jesus' love for me since I've become a Christian. I've learned more and more about how God wouldn't spare his own son. So how will he not give me all things? All things that I need. He will be, whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. Because I've learned more and more about Christ and his righteousness. So if you're a Christian, have you moved on? Or are you regularly laying that foundation again and again of repentance? You're always worrying about whether you're a Christian. And in response to that, you don't just, you don't learn more about Christ and his righteousness. You, you keep laying the foundation of repentance. Don't do that. Hear the rebuke of the author of Hebrews. Move on. Repent and move on. Understand more about God after that. And if you're not a Christian, do you recognize the need to repent? This is a foundational truth. John the Baptist preached it. Jesus preached it. His disciples preached it. Paul the Apostle, who is a disciple as well, number 13 maybe, he preached it. It's a crucial doctrine. You cannot be a Christian and not repent. Have you done so? Have you done what it says here, the repentance from acts that lead to death, or are you still being led to death by the works that you're doing? I hope not. I plead with God every week that people who attend here on Sunday will not be those people that are led to death. I hope not. If you haven't repented, do it today. Don't delay. In your mind, acknowledge you're a sinner to God. In your mind, turn from your sin. And turn to doing what God wants. And experience a sorrow. Don't work up the tears, but mourn over your sin. If you're not mourning over your sin, ask yourself why. Then you need to, if you can't mourn over your sin, you need to examine sin for what it really is more and more. I've got excellent books on the subject. There's a really good Puritan book, The Sinfulness of Sin by Ralph Venning. Talks about how horrible sin is encourages you to mourn over the fact that you ever sinned in your life when you see the despicable nature of sin. That's a good book for you to read if you're having trouble being sorrowful about your sin. Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us foundational truths, that you have told us the fundamentals of being a Christian, that you have told us that we need to repent if we are to have eternal life. And Lord, we thank you that you have granted repentance to so many people in this room, that we have used our minds to acknowledge our sin, to turn from our sin, to turn toward you, and that you have moved our hearts to be sorrowful for our sin. But Lord, we pray for the Christians in this room. We pray that they may go on to teachings about Christ and his righteousness not laying again the foundation of repentance, but building upon it. And so they can be strong in the faith. Heavenly Father, we do also pray for anyone here this morning who is not a Christian, who has not seen the need to repent of their sins, to turn from doing acts of unrighteousness to doing what is right before you. We pray that you may grant them repentance. We pray that you may overwhelm them with a sorrow for their sin so they cry out to you in repentance for forgiveness of their sin. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.